Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And we read in the third chapter this. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now <clears throat> hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self with, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with, one another, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I might have mentioned this before, but when I was in high school, I joined the wrestling team essentially on a whim. I just thought it might be fun. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I knew it would be tough, but after the first day, I began to wonder whether I'd actually make the cut. I handled most practices pretty well, but one exercise really took it out of me. I was exhausted after it. It required running up a staircase with a teammate riding on your back. It, I mean, you know, it's, it, it builds endurance, makes you strong. But I weighed about 115 pounds soaking wet. Uh, so when it came to choosing partners, I was strangely popular uh, with, all, with, with all of the heavier guys. They were like, you, you're my partner, and you will be easy to carry. Um, and for them, it was easy. I was very easy to carry up the stairs. But I had to put every bit of energy and determination uh, into carrying them up the stairs. If I fell, they would not be happy, and I didn't want any of them angry with me because they were bigger and stronger. And they knew more about wrestling. And so after this exercise, I wondered whether I even wanted to continue. When you run up and down the stairs with a guy who eats two or three pizzas, not slices, but pizzas, 
uh, on your back, you wonder, you know, what is going to be next in this process of becoming a wrestler. Thankfully, our coach laid out a list of requirements to get on the team. We needed to come to every practice. After school, we need to work on conditioning at home. We needed to watch what we ate. Uh, We need to support the team during matches, but also during regular school hours. Eventually, all of those things uh, we did would make us into flexible, tough warriors so that when we're standing in the middle of the gym in a very uncomfortable uniform engaging in a battle, we would find victory. Um, My coach taught history, uh, which meant we heard a lot of those epic kind of comparisons Uh, We were like Greek athletes. We were like Roman centurions, Viking knights, and so on. That's how he described us. And he said, if you wanted to be this kind of epic warrior for our school, uh, you needed to do all of these things. I never quite lived up to those lofty expectations. uh, But the training the coaches required of us made sense. If they were to transform undisciplined high schoolers into competitors that not only use their physical strength, but also their intelligence to gain victory, we needed to do certain things on a regular basis. Practice couldn't be something we just did occasionally. It had to become a daily habit, something we committed to. If you've ever been on a team of any kind, either sports or business, you understand that there are things that everyone needs to do to be the best that you can be. For wrestlers, uh, for wrestling, we needed to learn the right moves and escapes. We needed to uh, know what to do to earn points and avoid being pinned. If we were to become wrestlers, our routines needed to revolve around that one goal. Of course, many, maybe most worthy endeavors in this life have similar requirements. We all must do certain things if we want to achieve a particular goal or dream. If you want to get married, you should know and love the person that will be your future spouse. You have to earn their trust. You have to convince them that a life together will be uh, good for both of you. No one randomly begins that kind of an adventure with a stranger. If you want to be a valedictorian at school, you need the best grades, which means you have to do uh, the best homework. You have to do all of the extra credit. If you want to be an airplane pilot, you need to learn how to fly. That is something I expect of most of my airplane pilots, (laughs) that they know how to fly. If you want to grow your own garden, you have to plant your own seeds, water them, keep the weeds away. And if we want to grow in our faith We must routinely engage with the word of God, talk with our our Lord in prayer, and invest our lives in a local church with other believers so that we can grow. In principle, this process makes logical sense for uh, for most, but not all the things that we want to do or become. Because sometimes we're not able to do everything we need to reach our goals or become the people that we want to be. Sometimes the requirements are impossible to meet. The expectations much too far to reach. I realized, unfortunately, early on, I was never going to play college football for the University of Georgia. (laughs) I just lack certain physical gifts needed to play competitively on the college level and not die. (laughs) Like, you know, being a taller or bigger or faster. I wanted to be an architect in high school, but I discovered I really didn't enjoy all of the math that was required. 
One of the big lies of our culture, actually, we hear this repeated uh, on TV and movies too often, is that we can be anything we want. That's not quite true. We understand the motivation behind that statement. Of course, we want our children to strive uh, for, uh, for greatness, uh, not to settle less uh, than their dreams. But we, we all have things we will never be able to do just because of who we are. We all have unique gifts and skills, but that doesn't mean we will be successful in everything we do or catch every dream. There are some requirements we will never be able to meet. Deep down, we know that about ourselves. We know there are some things we might not ever be able to do. So when we come across passages like this in Colossians, which has a lot of requirements about expectations of what our life as believers should be, our first response sometimes isn't joy or elation, but apprehension. Reading a long list of things that we need to do or not do to really follow Jesus, to become a faithful disciple, makes us all slightly uneasy. The standards our God expects us to live by are hard to meet. They are thorough. They are comprehensive. They are uh, they are big. And sometimes, if we're honest, we might wonder if we're up to the task. After all, can any of us really live in the way Paul requires in Colossians? Can any of us guard our hearts and minds and focus entirely on the things of the kingdom? Entirely. Can we put to death the sinful things that populate our lives or live within us? Can we put away uh, moments of anger and wrath and malice or slander and make sure that our lips always reflect heaven and not the world? Is it possible in our daily lives to never sin again? Most worryingly of all, Paul says we are supposed to put on the nature of Jesus himself, that we must, <clears throat> we must let the message of Christ dwell among us richly, that we must let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Paul expects believers to imitate the one human in the entire history of the world who never sinned who always did the right thing and loved the world with such perfection, he died on a cross to save it. Now, as the disciples, we know that our job is to follow Jesus, but on our own, the best we can do is a life of poor imitation. We might love others as he loved us some of the time, but we wouldn't be able to do it all of the time. We can, all of us can, extend kindness to others most of the time. But moments of selfishness and greed still guide our thoughts and desires. Even if we put to death most of our sinful behavior, we would be, still be sinning in our hearts, which Jesus never did. And he explicitly prohibits in Matthew five twenty-eight when he says, uh, even just thinking the wrong thing uh, is, is enough to be on the wrong side, is to fail to live up to those expectations. The list of standards Paul provides for believers makes us uncomfortable because we know we don't really measure up. On our own, we cannot live a holy and blameless life. Even when we have a clear checklist to complete, when God explicitly lays out what we need to do and what we need to stay away from, nothing we do can ever really transform our hearts into being more like Jesus. 
Even if we obeyed every law provided by Yahweh and commandment given by our Savior, we would be no closer to the internal comprehensive transformation required to be called children of God. Repeating the same mistakes of the Israelites in the Old Testament, we would honor God with our mouths, but our hearts would still move and operate in hidden rebellion. We could maybe even fool everybody in our life. We could say that we are good, but deep down we know that sin still lived in us. Like us, the Colossians looked at their own lives and felt like they would never measure up. On their own, they struggled to live as they had been commanded. They fell back into old habits and tried to reduce the expectations placed on their behaviors. But Paul didn't write to the Colossians to discourage their progress as disciples. Rather, he wants them to understand that through the grace Jesus extends on the cross, every believer is free to fully step into the life Jesus expects of his children. This is important, and I want you to hear this, because sometimes believers go through their whole life and they think, well, I'll never measure up. I'm never going to get there. The life Paul describes isn't a list of prerequisites to following Jesus. It's not a list of prerequisites to get God to love you. They are markers of Christ's presence within us and goals for those being transformed by the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Paul wants the Colossians and he wants us to remember that life in Jesus is not just an ideal for which we strive. It is a new reality God creates for and in and through us. Jesus Jesus never asks us to live a perfect life and then he will come uh, uh, to live inside of us. Rather, he comes to live inside of us so we might live a perfect life. Church, the commands of Jesus are also promises. Knowing this changes how we approach discipleship in three main ways. First, if Jesus lives in us, none of these virtues or markers of faith are out of our reach. In simple terms, uh, Christ comes to live in us with the things of the kingdom, of his kingdom in tow. Instead of an empty uh, spiritual cupboard, we find our pantry full because Jesus is there to stock it. Theologians Andrew Purvis and Charles Partee write in their book, Encountering God, uh, this. They say, in union with Christ, that which is his becomes ours. His father becomes our father. His knowledge and love and service of the father become in union with him, our knowledge and love and service of our father. In other words, Jesus Christ and our union with him through the Holy Spirit determine Christian faith. So much so that our union with Christ is the proper framework within which we understand Christian faith and discipleship in every regard. As believers, we never live and make these decisions on our own, but with the wisdom and guidance of our Savior directing our path. When Paul sets out these expectations, we can trust that Jesus will help us meet them. Second, if Jesus lives in us, he fills our every moment with his presence 
and his character. Christ is always at the ready to exercise every virtue and marker Paul lists in Colossians through you and me. In our daily lives, in our routines, in our normal, mundane, boring moments, Jesus is always poised to unleash the new life he won for us on the cross. Our whole lives start to become like his, not because he provided a list of rules for us to follow, but because his presence lives in our hearts. When Jesus calls us his children, he has already begun to transform our, in, uh, our internal, our hearts and minds and souls. He changes our habits and he reshapes us into his image. Discipleship is, of course, a lifelong journey of trial and error, but it is made possible by Christ living in us, who always teaches and guides and transforms us into what Martin Luther called uh, little Christs. We become echoes, we become reflections of him in our own life. We are made into his image by his own hands, and he fills us with his love and his joy and his peace. Third, the rhythms of faith in which Jesus frees us to participate continue to form us into new creations. This is important for us to understand. Throughout our scripture, our God shows clear interest in forming who we are. The image of God being a potter and us the clay begins in Genesis, right? Where Yahweh formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This divine crafting continues when Isaiah reminds the people of Israel that they are always being shaped by God into his children. Uh, Isaiah praying uh, this, You, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Paul sees the promise of this promised spiritual transformation fulfilled in Jesus, writing in Romans 8, For those God... For knew he also predestined to be conformed, to be shaped into the image of his son, so they might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. A life spent following Jesus has unique patterns that inevitably shape us into people that resemble Jesus and embody the values of his kingdom. Think of it in this way. The life that God pours into us through Jesus is like a waterfall, continually falling from his kingdom, from eternity, and into our lives and onto our hearts. Whenever we place ourselves under this stream of water pouring down, we are like rocks under a constant stream of water, slowly but surely changed. The habits of discipleship influence us to such a degree that eventually we start to notice we are a completely different shape. Stepping into the life Jesus offers by setting aside the sinful, broken things of this world, all those things that Paul warns us about, and then taking up all those eternal things that are good and lovely and true changes us. The habits of discipleship uh, position us under that stream of water so that every day we can become more and more like Jesus, more and more like his children. 
The leadership of this church understands our mission and a purpose in a similar way. We want to fashion uh, the life of this church in a similar way. We firmly believe the rhythms of faith help us not only personally grow more like Jesus, but free us to connect other people to Jesus too. The strategy we believe will help all of us grow as uh, disciples and a church uh, into the congregation that our God wants us to be is simple, but it revolves around three habits or expectations. The three avenues by which we achieve our mission and live into our values uh, are this, that we routinely, routinely worship together, we routinely grow deeper in our faith, and we routinely spend time and fellowship with one another. We are together often. When everyone in this church steps into those habits of faith, we move closer to the church that God has called us to be. We believe this. We believe this because we recognize the implications of what Paul told the Colossians so long ago. We are transformed for a greater purpose. So let the life that is transforming us overflow into the world around us. So that all people might know the goodness of our God and believe the reality of new life is available to them as well. So I encourage all of us to commit to those three things, to worshiping together, to growing together, to to fellowshipping with one another, to being together. Uh, we can we obviously worship when we come on Sunday mornings together, but that's not the only time we can worship. When we grow together, we grow when we learn, when we engage the word, when we learn more about what it means to be a Christian in our classes, when we read those books and share it with one another, but also we grow when we serve other people. As we're, when we go out of these doors into the world around us and we, uh, uh, commit to serving people in this community through things like Project 686 or helping uh, with our surprise that we do at Christmas, making sure that kids in our community have toys. That is another way that we grow. And we fellowship together, not just when we do fellowship lunches on Sunday afternoons, but when we commit to sharing a life together outside of these walls. We go out to lunch or hang out together up in Bent Tree or in the community or whatever. Those are the ways that we grow as a church. I want to encourage you to commit to those things and to remember that we do this for a purpose. We are positioning ourselves under, a, under the waterfall of grace and love that God continues to pour out on his people. So remember this and be encouraged. Amen.